Hi everybody, my name is Michael Domingue and welcome to Strange Tales of Myth and Magic. In this podcast, we're going to explore mythology and magic and fairy tales and wives' tales and maybe some snakes' tales. We'll take a peek at some of the strange legends and stories throughout history and how they affected culture and how they affected me as an artist. So sit back and let me tell you a story. This week's episode, Brews of the Gods, Lager Lore, and Ale Tales. So, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wait a second, wait a second. Um, this is supposed to be a podcast on myths and legends and magic and, and monsters and things like that. What in the world, what in the world, Michael, are you doing talking about beer? Well... You know, I I like beer, I and we're we're it's today is actually I'm I'm actually recording this podcast on American Thanksgiving, um so food is on my mind food and and good drink, and nothing like the colder weather which has started to creep in. We have you know the 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 longer days and the temperatures are dropping and. Dark beer might be on my mind, so it seemed appropriate maybe to bring something yummy into the mix of our myth and legend podcast. So, beer. Well, beer, it's not so far-fetched to wrap beer into myth and legend. You might be surprised how many gods and goddesses and stories there are that relate to beer, because beer, believe it or not, is culturally an important invention. So I guess I should tell you what beer is before we jump into it. So most of you might know it's actually made from more or less the same types of things that you make bread with. So you got, you know, your your grains and your your barley and malt and then, of course, yeast, which, you know, helps the fermentation process. Um, So basically it's liquid bread. Now, it's said beer is like 7,000 years old, and, and the earliest, the earliest they, they've made, you know, discoveries of um, was in China, um, though this is a little bit different. Um, this is sort of made from fruit and rice, so definitely not the Budweiser beer or the Guinness Stout type of beer that we think of. So probably the, the first concoction, though, that, that sort of led to beer, as we know it today, would have come from Mesopotamia um, 6,000 years ago. And um, this is made from pretty much the same ingredients that we make beer today with. Um, from um, ancient Sumeria, there's actually a tablet um, that shows a bunch of people gather around. It's a stone tablet, and they're gathered around, and they're drinking beer. And it's in this big big vase and and they're drinking it out of straws yes straws now we'll get back to that in a little bit for now though let's go take a peek into some of the myths and legends associated with it so sumeria is a good place to start let's let's go to ancient sumeria and and let's see what's going on there now the goddess of beer is named ninkasi and she is said to have been created with with the intent of healing the wounds of the water god. The water god did something and he was cursed, and he was cursed with eight wounds. So the goddess Nikasi was one of eight children that were created with the sole purpose of healing him because he was an important god. So I'm not sure if what she used to heal Ankle was um, beer, 
um, which back then would have been called Sakaru. So Sumerian beer is called Sakaru. But she's attributed as being the goddess of actually all alcohol, but in particular beer, because that's really what they drank. Now, in 1800 BC, there was a hymn written to honor Ninkasi. And it was called the hymn to Ninkasi, at least that's what we call it. But, but it's interesting because it talks about all the good things she does, in particular all the good things she does um, with alcohol in terms of its healing abilities. And it goes on and on and on, and it's actually not a short hymn. Um, but one of the things that it does is not only does it talk about, you know, these godly things, but it's basically a recipe for making beer. It's perhaps the oldest thing we have in terms of knowing how to make beer, at least beer in their day. So if you read the hymn, you'll get sort of a mythological tale, um, but you'll also know how to make beer. You'll get down and go, oh, I'm, I can make some beer now. So it's, it's very utilitarian. Now in those days, beer was wee, wee different. So it, it was pretty chunky. Um, because basically what they did is they essentially made a, sort of a bread and then sort of turned it into a beverage, which, you know, a fermented. And so it was chunky. You had, you know, chunks of bread material in there or, or the makings of bread. You know, on the top, malt would sort of settle and malt um, would be very bitter and sort of not very tasty. So um, here comes the straws. What the straws did is so when you'd had a big, big giant thing of a big vat of beer, or as they would call it, sakiru, um, you'd plunk the straws in and you'd get all the yummy stuff below and those chunky, yucky things on top, you'd, you'd bypass. So, thus, straws. Now, the reason beer is an important thing um, is that beer is food. Um, I'd already mentioned that it's made from the same stuff as bread. So it's nutritious. You could, in theory, live off of beer. So th it was important to this culture, to the Sumerian culture, to have this, this thing. Um, because, you know, it, it didn't go bad because it was fermented, or at least it didn't go bad right away. Um, it was one of those things that preserved. And if you think about um, the times back then, you know, water wouldn't have been all that pure, especially as a city grows. So more and more people, harder and harder to get fresh water, which would be questionable, but there's always beer. So it's really a life-saving invention. And bonus, bonus, you get a buzz from the stuff too. So I wanna go back to this hymn of Ninkasi because I think that's kind of important because one of the things that um, we often overlook as science progresses is um, the concept of magic and, and how it relates to things. So, you know, my thought of magic is magic is basically science before we know how something works, right? Well, that's kind of true with the beer making process because back then those scrolls or tablets, whichever the, whichever the hymns were on, were really no different than like a Harry Potter wizard um, reciting some magical spell. Um, you know, sure, you magical spell, turn that guy into a snake. Poof, he's a snake. Well, in this case, you're, you're, you're doing all the stuff, you're adding all the ingredients, you're, you're following the directions, and something magical happens. Something life-sustaining, something a purified drink, and something that gives you a euphoric feeling. So, definitely magical. 
As it says in the hymn to Ninkasi, Ninkasi will be what satisfies the heart. So before we wander off from Mesopotamia, um, I thought I should mention um, another little tale that comes from Gilgamesh, the, the legend of Gilgamesh, or the, the story of Gilgamesh. And um, it's just a little mini tale about a, a guy named Enkidu who is a sort of a wild man, a wild beast of the woods. Um, not quite man, not entirely just beast. Um, and at some point in the story, he's offered beer and bread, which he'd never had before. And that turns him into a human. But he's still, you know, sort of ferocious in nature and, and becomes a great warrior, um, which is interesting, um, you know, that, that beer is seen of what is humanizing um, this character, you know, because I've seen a few people down a few beers and they seem less than human sometimes. So let's head to ancient Egypt. Because actually, um, beer was um, quite a big thing in their culture, too. Um, beer was uh, something that, that the Egyptians um, loved to imbibe in. Um, they loved their beer. Now, Egyptian beer wasn't quite the sludge that the Sumerians were drinking. Um, their stuff was, there was a lot more water to it. So it was, it was considerably closer um, to what we consider to be beer today. Now, um, there is a tale about the sun god, Ra, um, who basically, as the story goes, Ra is just sort of sick of people. Like, I'm done with you guys. And he's just tired of, he's tired of their foolishness. Um, you know, because we can be foolish. He's tired of their sins, and yes, we can be sinful. Um, and he's just like, you know, that is it. These guys are just dorks. I am, I am, I'm done with them. Um, I'm, I'm getting rid of them. I'm going to annihilate them. So what he does um, is he um, contacts, he, he calls up the, the war goddess, Sekhmet, and um, said, hey, you know, I got a job for you. And she's like, cool, I've been kind of out of work for a while, so yeah, I'm, I'm down with it. So um, Sekhmet basically just um, goes out and she's just like killing people left and right, just bloodlust, like, ah, she's, you know, this blood everywhere, village to village, she's on a rampage. It's one village, wipes out everybody. Another village, wipes out everybody. Village, village, village. She's just on a killing spree. Now, meanwhile, the other gods are kind of like looking at each other going, you know, this, you know, this is not good. I mean, this, is a, this is not a good example to make, you know, and so they talk to Ra, and they say, look, you know, we, you know, you're not going to get any offerings. You're, you know, you're not, you're not going to get anything good from this. I mean, there, there are no lessons. Everybody's going to be gone. How can they learn a lesson? You're going to teach them a lesson? Who's learning a lesson? So they convince Ra to um, call off Sekhmet. It's like, you know, come on, you know let's, let's kind of bring things down a little bit. So Ra um, approaches Sekhmet and says, okay, okay. Um, I, I think I made a mistake. Um, let's, um, let's ease up. Let's, let's stop. Well, Sekhmet, she ain't, she ain't listening. She's just like, woo, blood, woo, I'm digging it, woo. So Ra comes up with a plan, um, since Sekhmet cannot be reasoned with, um, can't even be talked with. So Sekhmet is en route to the village of Dendera. And so Ra orders that vats of beer be filled with red dye. Um, mixed with the beer, but it makes the beer look red. And so 
she's crazy, you know, chopping heads off and eating them. And I don't know how she kills people, but she's doing crazy, bloody things. And then she comes across the beer and she pops open a cold one and downs it. Mmm. And she likes it. You know, that's like the best blood she's ever had. And so she's drinking that and she pops open another one. And in no time, she's down to six pack of these beer vats. And she is wasted. She's stumbling around. She pops open another one. And soon after that, she passes out flat on her face. Humanity is saved. Thanks to beer. Um, now, when, when Sekhmet wakes up, she's not the same person she was before. In fact, she's a different goddess. She's Hathor who is the benefactor of humankind, the, the person who brings music and agriculture and joy and motherhood and dance, a whole list of good things. Um, that's what beer did for Sekhmet. Sekhmet was a crazy monster, and beer soothed the savage beast. See? Beer's good for you. So in um, Southern Africa, in Zulu culture, um, there are legends of the fertility goddess, Mbaba Moana Oresa, who is um, also goddess of rainbows and thunder and that sort of stuff. But she's also the goddess of beer. Um, and as the story goes, um, Mbaba Moana Oresa uh, was um, looking for a husband. But you know, she was hanging out in, in the heavens with the gods and just nobody, nobody good up there, I guess. Nobody, nobody worth, nobody worth settling down with. So she turns her attention to, um, to the humans, to the mortals. And, um, she kind of, she kind of, uh, sees a herdsman that she's kind of digging and, um, just kind of going, yeah, that's, that's a nice guy. I like him. I, I could see, I could see spending, spending time with him and, and being a couple with this guy. And, um, the thing is though, is that she wanted to test him. So what she does is she, um, she sends down a beautiful maiden, a very attractive maiden and, um, to sort of tempt him to see if he'll be tempted. Um, and meanwhile, she is disguised as sort of an, an old woman, um, and the herdsman is, isn't tricked. He actually goes for the old woman. And so she's like, oh, you win. You know, you saw my inner beauty. And, and then they get married. Now, this upset the other gods. Because there was this division that, you know, the gods were the gods. And people were like, eh, people. And they were separated. And they're like, you know, you can't be you can't be serious. You're going to marry a human? Oy. So at this point, the rainbow goddess invents beer. And, and the reason she invents beer um, is to make humans feel closer to gods. You know, it's that feeling, that euphoria. They, they feel a little bit uh, invincible, like the gods. And so it was a way of bridging the gods and the humans. And, and then she passed the secret on to humanity, and so they could be, make beer on their own. Now, to this day, um, there's a type of beer that um, Zulus make that is made only by women. It's a way of honoring their very first Zulu brewmaster, Mbaba Moana Waresa. 
So, you know, often when I think of beer and mythology, my mind goes immediately to, like, you know, the tale, the Norse tales. I, I think of Vikings as being beer drinkers, which they were. Um, now, there's a great scene. Those, of pe- those people who are comic book movie fans, like, you know, I'm sort of a comic book movie fan junkie, and there's a scene, and I don't remember which movie it was in, but there's a scene where Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, is talking with Thor. And Thor's got this big, giant stein of beer, which he downs pretty much in one gulp. And except that every time he downs it, it refills. And it's kind of a jokey thing, you know, because you figure Doctor Strange is doing some magic. But actually, actually, that is from a Norse legend. That refilling mug is actually something that comes from Norse mythology. So the brewer to the Norse gods is a guy named Aegir, and he basically is also the god of god of the sea um but he and and perhaps the reason he you know god of the sea and and beer relate is because of sea foam is sort of similar to beer foam right um but when you visit him if you go to his house the beer steins always refill of course i I don't think it's steins they're drinking i actually think they were drinking out of these big horns but but they always refill so you shrug it down and there you go you got another one so if we head to sort of Celtic legends, what we find is a, a special beer there called the, the beer, beer of immortality, immortality, which, as you can imagine, if you drink it, you live forever. And this was made by basically the, the blacksmith god of, of Celtic lore. Um, now, this, this is an idea. You, you take a, a swig of this beer, and then you head over to um, the Norse brewer's house, and you can live forever and drink beer forever. So if you're a beer drinker, that would be the way to go. So um, European lore um, has a character named Gambrinus. Kind of has a few different iterations. In some cases, he's he's seen as sort of a, a, a an inventor of beer who, who learned how to brew beer from Isis and Osiris um, in ancient Egypt. Um, in other tales, um, he's... Um, kind of a Faustian character, a a guy who uh, makes a deal with the devil. So that is actually one of the more interesting tales, I think. So as legend has it, Gambrinus was an apprentice to a poor glassblower. And um, he he basically falls in love with his boss's daughter, Flanderina. And Flanderina um, is beautiful and lovely and, and he's, you know, he's all smitten and, and um, he, you know, he decides, right, you know, the minute he saw her, he's like, I am definitely going to marry her. I'm in love with her. Mm, my heart's beating. And, and he approaches her. And he's like, hey, you want to go out sometime? You want to hit the town? want to, you know, go out on a date? And she's like, hmm, no. You're not, you're not, you're not, you're not rich enough for me. You're not, you're not, you're, you're just a glass blower's, you know, apprentice. I, I want somebody important. Gambrinus is heartbroken, shattered in a million pieces. So he hits the road, grabs his little bindle, which is like a little sack on a stick. You know, you've probably seen those things. So he grabs his bindle full of belongings and um, hits the road in, in the hopes that he will forget Flanderina. 
Now, he did bring his violin along with him. Um, and as it turns out, he started playing his violin for money in Belgium and um, became quite a popular musician. You know, crowds are loving him. It's like, yay, Belgium and Holland, he's very popular. Um, people are humming his tunes on the street. You know, every time he'd play, he'd get big, big crowds. Um, and more and more, you know, money and, and renown comes his way. And he has this big crowd gathered, a big concert set up. And he goes out to play, this big crowd, they're all, yay! Cambrinas, woo! You know, they're lighting their little, I don't know, they don't have Zippo lighters, but they, they're candles, maybe, I don't know, matches, but they're all like swaying. Um, except Cambrinas is busy violining, and he looks into the audience, and there he sees Flanderina. And he chokes. You know, you know, his violin starts making squeaky noises. He totally, totally chokes. Well, the crowd starts rioting. You know, they start breaking things and boo, boo. And they start screaming and yelling how much he sucks. And, and they tear up the town. And, and Gambrinus gets sent to jail. Because the cops say, oh, you know, you are the cause of this. Your sucky violining caused these riots. So off you go to jail. And so he's in jail. And all I can think about is Flanderina and how he choked and and what's the point of his life and he's very sad and so he wants to end it all and he wants, he decides he's going to hang himself. Um, well, at this point, the devil appears. Poof! And he sort of looks like a hunter is what he looks like, and he says to Gambrinus, he said, "Hey, so um, here's the deal." If um, you give me your soul in 30 years, not nothing right away, um, in 30 years, if you give me your soul, um, I can pretty much get you almost anything you want. Almost anything. Um, you just have to sign on the dotted line. And, and, and Gambrinus is tempted by this. And he's, you know, it's like, hmm. And he's like, okay, okay. So can you make Flanderina love me? And the devil's like, mm, no, now that you know the the heart stuff. That's a little tough. I can't, I can't really pull that one off. That's that's one of the restrictions. Um, but I could do other stuff. For instance, I could take your mind off her. You may not even think about her. So you know, don't need to love her if you don't even think about her, right? Well, Gambrina's like, yeah, that's a great idea, and he's. Give me that contract, and he signs his soul away. So, as an occupation, Gambrinus takes up gambling and wins a lot of money. He becomes rich, 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 gets a lot of money. But he still can't forget Flanderina. In fact, he's got all this money, and he thinks, oh, you know what? She would probably dig me now that I have this money. So he looks her up, and um, she's like, nah. Um, you got money, but, um, I, I, I want a duke or a prince or, or something like that. I, you know, money, money, you know, I want some status. Look me up when you're a duke or a king or something. And Gambrinus is heartbroken once again. Well, it's not long after this that the devil appears. Poof. Hey, how's it going? And Gambrina says, look, uh, that, you know, I, I still I still think about her all the time. I still think about Flanderina. You got to give me something else. I need some other way. Gambling didn't cut it. Um, so you got to give me something else to, 
to to get to get rid of her out of my head. Um, so I was like, yeah, all right. Um, here are some seeds. Um, these are special seeds, and here's a little recipe for you. And what what the devil has given Gambrinus is um, the makings of beer, how to make beer, and the stuff to make beer with. And so he creates a brewery. Gambrinus creates a brewery. So Gambrinus tries a little of this beer, takes a sip, you know, hopes to feel better. And he definitely feels good after drinking the beer, but, you know, he didn't forget anything. Um, so the devil pops in again and he gives Gambrinus a little chime, a little, you know, like a little triangle with a little ting, ting, ding, ding, right? And he says, this is going to make people want to dance. Now, that'll come in handy. Just, just, just trust me. Trust me on this. And um, Gambrinus takes his his um, beer to town for people to try, um, and they taste it, and they hate it. They hate it. This they're like beer. This stuff is horrible. Um, we've never had whatever this is before, but it's it's bitter. It's gross, and uh, I, don't, I don't know why anybody would drink this stuff. Um, it does make me feel a little better, but it sucks. It's really bad. Well. Gambrinus, you know, looks at the little triangle that the devil gave him, and so he's like a little dejected, but he, he's like, well, let me give this a try, and ding, 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 starts playing his little triangle, his little chime. Well, people start dancing, and they keep dancing some more, and more and more people are dancing. They're drinking his beer, and they're dancing. And the more they dance, the more they feel a need to drink his beer, and the better they start feeling. And then they're tired, but they drink more beer to, to, to replenish themselves, and, and they're drinking and, and dancing and having a good time, and he's a hit. So he spends his time making beer and, and drinking a fair amount of beer. And yes, he has forgotten Flanderina. Well, one day, she appears. She, she, she finds out that he's considered the king of beer. He's the king of beer, the duke of beer. He's the prince of pale ales. And she comes up to him and goes, Hi, stranger, remember me? And uh, Gambrinus is like, uh, Nope, here, have another glass of beer. And turns his back on her and sees her never again. Well, he lives a pretty good life and, you know, he's drinking and making beer and, you know, playing his chimes and whatever else he did. And um, 30 years later, the devil comes a-knockin'. Hey there, Gambrinus. Uh, love your beer. Um, hey, but guess what? You're coming with me, pal. Um, Gambrinus like, no, 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 here, have a glass of beer. And they was like, nah, I'm not really thirsty. And Gambrinus like, ah, oh, come on! And then Gambrinus takes out his little chime. Ding, 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 ding. And the devil can't resist. He starts dancing. And dancing. And dancing. And dancing. And dancing. He can't stop. And, and finally, the, the devil is exhausted. And he's like, okay, okay. Um, deal's off. Um, I'm not going to take your soul right now. Um, but I'll get you. Did you wait? You know, when you kick the bucket, I'm still going to get you. Um, but just please, please, please stop. Gambrinus stops and um, just show there's no hard feelings. He gives the devil a nice big barrel of beer to take with him down to hell. But the thing is, um, the devil still wanted his soul. But, but, you know, he had to wait. He had to wait. In fact, he had to wait till Gambrinus was 100 years old when he passed away. 
And so the devil rolls in and he, he comes by the, the casket and you know, it's covered in a, in sort of a big, big sort of velvety tarp of some kind. And he's like going, all right, buddy, guess what? Coming with me. He takes off the velvety covering and Gambrinus isn't there. It's a big barrel of beer instead. So Gambrinus got away. So um, the last little tale that I'll leave you guys with is, is the tale of John Barleycorn. And it, it's really not a, a legend as it is a sort of a folk song in which um, basically it's um, a personification of um, barley. And all the trials and tribulations that the barley goes through, you know, it's sort of like, um, for instance, uh, one of the lines in the, the ballad of John Barleycorn is that they've taken a weapon long and sharp and cut him by the knee. They tied him fast upon a cart like a rogue for forgery. Here is a tale of the trials and tribulations of being, you know, barley growing up and then getting cut down and then all this process until, until the, the beer making stage. John Barleycorn was a hero bold of noble enterprise. For if you do not but taste his blood, twill make your courage rise. Twill make a man forget his woe, twill heighten all his joy. Twill make the widow's heart to sing, though tear were in her eye. Then let us toast John Barleycorn, each man a glass in hand, and may his great posterity ne'er fail in old Scotland. So they beaten him down, and they do all these horrible things to him, but in the end, in the end, John Barleycorn is a hero for all mankind, as is beer, perhaps. So one of the cool things about um, beer and, and drinking beer, especially when you have a little bit of a backstory about the history, you know, the 7,000-year-old history of beer, is, and perhaps this is the most magical thing about it, is that it reaches back. I mean, when you're sipping a nice big glass of beer, um, you have something in common with somebody who lived six or 7,000 years ago, and then every time in between. And that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Now, um, the one difference is, though, I'm not going to be drinking my beer through a straw. That's it for this week's episode, everybody. Thanks for listening. Be sure to pop in again. There's going to be new tales of myth and magic popping up in the future. So uh, tell your friends. That's always helpful. And um, if you're interested, stop by my website, www.michaeldebing.com, and you can see some of the artwork that I create that might relate to what we're talking about. And if you want to delve a little further into the topic, I'll have blog posts that relate to each of these podcasts. So until we meet again... I'll be missing you.